morning and welcome everybody. Yes, we are here. Dawson, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. That's good. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> we're also... We've got all kinds of things happening here at the moment, so uh, let's see if we can get this program up and running and get it on. Yeah, there. that's right. I hopefully, hopefully we we and are we're having some technical challenges here this morning. So, if you are hearing this on the delayed broadcast, uh-huh. you may be the only people that are hearing it. We're not sure. <laughs> we're really strapped. But anyway. Good morning, everybody. Good welcome. Morning. Welcome. This is a real April Fool's joke right now. <laughs> yes, all, the, all the people are like listening out because so my I was going to do an April Fool's joke, but then we panicked because we were having technical difficulties and Lyle jumped in. My April April Fool's joke was that I was just going to let the, uh, the the intro jingle ring out and then not say anything. And then be like, ah, April Fool's, but literally we're doing that anyway. <laughs> Without <laughs> intending to do so. <laughs> so, dude, we're, 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 we're killing it right now. I think more. April Fool's is just ahead of us a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. If this came in and it fooled us. We yeah. thought we were going to fool we, everybody. We ourselves have been But we fooled. ended up being the And uh, now, now we're, we're regaining our, our live sites. So to those okay, who are... I can see two sites on there out of 99 sites. Oh, nice. Nice work. So, but to those who are listening and will be listening, um, thank you for listening. Uh, it is April the 1st. We are you know joining you from Faith FM, from The Breakfast Show here in Newcastle. And uh, I believe we'll have a fantastic show. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. As we get into our breakfast show, hopefully you can all hear us now. We did have some technical difficulties right at the end, but we do seem to have a bunch of transmitters up and operating, so Mm -hmm. hopefully we're back on air. All right, Lawson. Yes. Let's have the first question for our quiz. Okay, the first question for our quiz. For 100 points, it is this. Who was... The first king of Israel. Okay. That's a straightforward question. 0491064669 is the number to call or text your answer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you know the answer for 100 points, you can get yourself a Faith FM bookmark and bumper sticker, or you can get those points on the board. Continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, that question was, who was the first king of Israel? A very 100-point question this morning. 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. All right, let's hear some positively different news this morning. Mm, okay, oh, I have some news to share. Yes. I don't know if you could consider it positively different. Uh, uh, well, just positive because it's 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 quite negative. Okay, but it's also right. it's also. So a, do you want to swap places? No, I'll do positive news this morning. It's fine. No, this is a cautionary tale. Okay. Okay. This is this is this kind is, of there's a lesson to this one. This moral is, this to the is story. a lesson. Okay. There is a there is a moral to this story. Right. And the moral to the story, and, and you know, I I. I I don't talk about this very often, but but when I do, I get you know quite heated about it, right? You know, I talk about I I get quite intense, and it's yeah. essentially this is this is the story, and well, this is the lesson. Mm. Okay, don't buy cryptocurrency. No, okay. you, you were going to say crypto. <laughs> as soon as you started down this path, it's like Lawson's going to talk about crypto. No, I just want to talk about this briefly. So, um, there is a company. They are called the Ronin Network. 
and they own lots of cryptocurrency and they have spread that cryptocurrency into all different kinds of uh all different kinds of avenues um well it's essentially like this big conglomerate but one of the main platforms in which they uh use their cryptocurrency so it's so it's this big kind of network and you store cryptocurrency with them and you can take it out it kind of works as like a crypto bank um but one of their main platforms that they use cryptocurrency for it's like it's like crypto investment basically you know you put your money in a in in stocks um, or you put your money in this crypto bank and the promise is oh well it's going to grow uh, one of the main platforms that the that you know ronin is connected to is they have this like mobile game like a phone game um and you play this phone game and by playing this phone game you can actually win cryptocurrency it's kind of works like a bit of a casino um but it's like a, a phone game whatever anyways someone the house always wins right yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you can win so you crypto, lose. but you're you losing lose. money you're on losing. the way. And so that's why for people invested in the Ronin network through other avenues, they're promised a return on their investment because yes. it's like, oh, the house always wins. The whole house always wins. Through the phone game, someone hacked into the Ronin network, like, yeah, through the phone game platform yes. and stole $600 million worth of cryptocurrency. Oh, oh. and so that's, that's eye watering. And so. Therefore, the uh, is that the biggest heist on record? Um, so literally over the last two months, like including this, there has been about $2 billion worth of crypto heists that have taken place. Right. So there are it's pretty constant and safe. consistent crypto heists that go down because this is what happens when you have unregulated currency that, um, yeah, a bunch of randoms promise to keep safe from you. Now, obviously, you can keep your crypto safe by putting it on a hard drive and taking it off the internet. Uh, but if you want to invest your crypto in any way, which at some particular point did, you've got to take it back off the hard drive if you want to use it for something. Yeah, that's right. And so, so ultimately, again, this is a, a story. I only wanted to cover it briefly, but it, it is yeah, I think a it cautionary is definitely tale. a cautionary tale and something that we need to think about because God calls us to be stewards of our money and stewards mm-hmm. of our finances. Mm-hmm. And we have to, you know, if we're going to make these kinds of investments, it's like any investment, we have to pray long and hard before we do so Mm -hmm. because we have to ask, you know, is this the best way to invest what God has entrusted into my care? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the story of the talents is a great story that Jesus gives to say that he has entrusted, you know, money, goods, possessions, whatever. They are entrusted to us into our care and that we need to, uh, you know, we need to be taking we are responsible to God as to how we actually use that. And so if you're going to go down one of these high-risk paths, then have a lot of think about that first. Yeah, that's right. I think, I have think, a lot of praying about it first. I think ultimately, like, you know, I, I bring up crypto kind of semi, semi, I would, I would say your, not, not very often, but I, I bring it up at crypto times. crypto is my cat. <laughs> that's right. It's like, uh, because I feel like especially, you know, especially within the Christian space, like, I don't know. I, I feel as though, like, in investment and whatnot, while, while it while it has its place, um, while it can be a fantastic thing, you know, um, yeah, can we? You know, you have to ask yourself the question, I guess, and sorry for butting in, but is my money making the world a better place in the way I'm investing it? That's right. I think that's the thing. Like, like what what is the purpose yes. for saying, oh, I'm going to increase the amount of cash that I have? Like, because I feel like that is the dream of crypto is essentially you get into it. Yes, there is kind of the noble side, which is like decentralized currency. But the the real dream of crypto is that if I buy into crypto, I will get rich. Like, I will make money. And yeah, it's like, mm-hmm. which is ultimately like money that you 
you didn't really. It's the, it's like a no work kind of solution for for gaining for gaining cash. Well, it's, it's kind of hard work because you got to sit there on your on your computer and you got to build a computer and go crypto mining. And, oh well, that's some people. You know. For other people, it just works like stocks. You know, you just buy in by crypto and then sell it at a higher price. But the, I think that's the ultimate point. It's like, yeah, is your is your heart really in the place where it's like, oh, I want to get into cryptocurrency so that I can earn money to ultimately be a blessing to others. Well, the thing I see, you know, the difference I see with stocks is that if you put your stocks into, you know, you buy stocks in a company that mm-hmm. is doing something productive for the world, then mm-hmm. uh, your money is actually doing something productive for the world mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than just putting it into the ether. Yeah, that's right. Well, like, yeah, that's the that's the point of buying stocks is that the the company has an, infl- you know, inflation, a posi- well, crack, it's a point for, a cla- for, uh, cash, and then... Yeah, but the point of it for us as Christians is that not only do we make some money out of it, and mm-hmm. there, you know that's a, a, an honourable thing to do is to make money, but we also support a company mm-hmm. that is doing something positive. That's right. And that's how we should always approach these kind of projects. <laughs> Amen. Um, okay, in other news this morning, oh, this is really, really interesting kind of uh, natural nature news um, that we'll, we'll see here. Um Oh, this is really, really cool. So, um, there is this bacteria. It's called methanthropic or methanthropic bacteria. And its job is that it eats methane. It's a bacteria that eats methane mm-hmm. and then can be converted into methanol. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you can, you can, it, it, it gets rid of the bad stuff out of the atmosphere and creates good stuff that we can then burn in our cars to create to go really fast carbon dioxide. It, which then I, so we can take bad stuff out of the atmosphere uh-huh. to create good stuff to put uh-huh. in our car to put bad stuff into the atmosphere. Uh-huh. But then obviously, you know, then we just find ways of then taking the bad stuff out of the atmosphere. <laughs> okay. Now, I like this idea already because, um, you know, we, we, if, if, if we can, you know, this is a... This is another resource that we can access here on this earth right now where we have limited resources. Because mm-hmm. that's the point. Like, obviously, you know, we've talked a bunch about electric power on the show before. Yes. Um, but I think the, the the ultimate, like, the thing that's hindering us is that that technology isn't readily available. So it's like, oh, imagine if we could do some good with what we have right now. Yes. And we have that opportunity. Absolutely. Well, here's the other thing, too, is that uh, methane is 30 times more dangerous to the atmosphere than carbon dioxide That's is. right. And so if you're turning your methane into carbon dioxide through the process of running it through um, this, what is it, a, a, a bacteria and then yes. a, an engine, uh-huh. then that's an improvement. Mm-hmm. 100%. And, and in fact, because like, the reason methane is so dangerous uh, is because of how potent, potent it is and because of how strong strong the molecular bond in, within me is within methane. Yes. Like it's very hard to, to break down and it floats around uh, doing damage and whatnot. Um, but uh, this, en- uh, this bacteria has this enzyme in it and this particular enzyme is called methane monooxygenase. Okay. And this, uh, enzyme just, they're, they're like, scientists have been floored by it because it has this incredible ability to be able to break down the molecular bond of methane, um, which can then be not only broken down, but then stored. And as I said, turned into methanol. And there's not only application in this for, uh, breaking down methane in the atmosphere. That what they've been trying to do is take this enzyme out of the, you know, the cell of the bacteria, uh, and to, put it in other applications and they found that like this enzyme could have the ability to like clean up oil spills in the ocean you know if programmed correctly it could 
actually break down the molecular bond of anything you apply it to. And, and seeing that it naturally has that ability to do it to methane, they're like, oh, we can do this to any anything. So ultimately, we're, this is a net positive for us because we have the ability to break down harmful chemicals in our atmosphere, in our oceans, whatever it may be. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're about to have the next question for our quiz. Lawson, the 200-pointer, go for it. What two disciples from Jesus' inner circle, described as being unschooled, ordinary men, amazed the Jewish leaders with their courage in preaching? 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. If you know the, if you do know the answer, you can win an issue of Science Magazine or get those points on the board and continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, that question was, what two disciples from Jesus' inner circle, described as unschooled, Ordinary men amaze the Jewish leaders with their courage in preaching. Fantastic stuff. Okay, let's see if you can figure out the answer. 0491 Okay, so we did mention that we're going to have a State of the Global Conflict report this morning, mm. and the United Nations has put out a report to point out that one quarter of the population of our world is living in a conflict zone right now, wow. which is the highest since World War II. Wow. So I would not have picked that. Uh, that did definitely surprise me. Uh, currently, we have 84 million refugees. That's a mm. massive number. We have 274 million people who are in need of assistance as a result of armed conflict around the world. And that's up 17% from last year. It's not surprising it's up from last year. We've had uh, yeah, major conflict breakout uh, in the Ukraine. We've got a major power, as in Russia, that has gone to war there. But then again, you know, we've had major powers, as in the United States, that have gone to war and been at war for the last 20 years. Mm. And so I guess this shouldn't be seen as something new for us. It's just something new that it's from the East rather than the West. And uh, it's, you know, caused a lot of uh, uh, conflict over there. Um, in the last decade, the United States, the United Nations has spent $350 billion on peacekeeping. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you think about this for a moment. If our world could learn to live in peace, and war is like the dumbest thing ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. seriously, you, you look at the conflicts that we have going, around our, on, are going on around our world, and it's just like, why? Mm. Why do you want to do that? Just live in your own country, let other people do what they want to do, and be done with it. I mean, just live in your own country. Well, just live yeah. and, and live in peace. Mm. You know, be at peace with all men, as the Bible says. And. What, what benefit is this bringing to the world by having all of this conflict? Imagine if we were spending that money on research. Imagine if we were spending on making the world a better place. Imagine if we were spending on, you know, the environment. Mm. People are complaining about, oh, the environment, this and that and the other. You know what's destroying our environment faster than anything else? Armed conflict. War. <laughs> wow. Yes. Uh, the global military spending in 2020 which is only a fraction of what it is right now in 2022. But in 2020, it was $2 trillion. Mm. You know, is there anything bigger in the world that more money is being spent on than basically military spending, in other words, mm. the ability to kill people? Mm. We are spending more money in our world on the ability to kill people than we are spending it on anything else. And that's a bit disturbing, that's a bit worrying, but it does speak to... The condition of our world, the Bible said there would be wars and rumors of wars would be a sign that Jesus was coming back soon. And we are seeing more of that than our, than the history of our world has ever, ever seen before. 
Okay, so moving across to India, they have just passed an anti-conversion law. Of course, we've had anti-conversion laws passed in Victoria. Uh, we've had them passed in New Zealand. Uh, we've had them uh, spoken about in many different states in Australia, mm. uh, Canada, the United States, etc. And now India has just passed their anti-conversion law. Uh, and in this particular law, it is, well, it's illegal to convert to a different religion if you are a Hindu. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Hindu, that's it. You have no choice. And, you know, that does speak something in my mind to the strength of the Hindu religion. If you need a law like that to protect it, then it is clearly a religion that cannot stand on its own. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to put that out there. And sorry if I offended some Hindu people. I'm sure there's some Hindu people out there that are going to say, no, this can stand on on its own and there are good solid arguments for it. Uh, But I'm going to challenge that by saying, well, if that is the case, why do you need a law to protect it? Mm. Why do you need a law to stop people from leaving it? Mm. Uh, if it can stand on its own, let it stand on its own. Let it put up its arguments and let the apologists, you know, go for it and argue those arguments backwards and forwards. Let them, you know, talk it out with Christians and Muslims and whoever else there is out there, Buddhists and so forth, and uh, figure out whether, you know, let people make their own decision. But, no, there is a law that makes it illegal to uh, convert from Hinduism the law also makes it illegal to share your faith if you are a Christian. So that kind of sounds a little bit like uh, the uh, University of Newcastle there where it's kind of <laughs> illegal to share your faith. You can, you can talk to people if they ask you, but you can't talk to people unless they do, something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's essentially like, you know, I don't want to spin it to the idea where people think it's just full-on totalitarianism and they're like, if you're a Christian, you're not allowed to come. Like, you know, I, I give Bible studies on campus all day, you every do. day. Um, and, and God really blesses. And it's not in secret either. Like, we're just out of the open reading our Bibles. Um, but, yeah, at the same time, it's like, yeah, there was a lot of push from, you know, the student society, uh, yeah, the leaders of the student society to say, oh, if you run any program where the end result is proselytization, so giving someone the opportunity to yes. become a, of a different faith, particularly Christianity, yes, you're not allowed to run it. <laughs> Which is pretty much, you know, we look at India and we say, oh, this is shocking, there's a totalitarian government in, the, in India and it's resulted in so much persecution mm. over there. But the fact is, we are not that far behind them. Yeah, thankfully, we are just half a step behind. Thankfully, them. trying to make that policy has caused them a lot of headaches and has gotten them a lot of heat and flack from like secular media outlets that are like, "Isn't this just the breaching of freedom of speech? Isn't this totalitarianism?" And now they feel bad, and now they've like rescinded a bunch of those policies, and they're continuing to rescind them because it's causing their problems. So, so good things are happening. Yes. God is working. Absolutely, praise mm. God. Uh, Haryana's, uh, that's one of the states in India, uh, chief minister, said that this law is designed to instill fear in the minds of Christians. Mm. Um, and uh, Open Doors has noted that violence against Christianity in India as a result of this law is up by 74%. Yikes. Yes, and this was a really violent place for Christianity to begin Already. with. Already. We've, we've covered a number of stories from it. India, we've had Etienne McClintock come on and talk about the persecution come, uh, happening over there. That's wild. Um, now, what's interesting in the law is some of the things that it specifically calls out. Um, it calls out conversions through uh, the following things. Misrepresentation, force. So you can't use misrepresentation. You can't use force. You can't use undue influence. You can't use coercion. You can't use allurement. You can't use fraud. And you can't use marriage. Uh-huh. Now, we would look at that and on the surface and say, okay, that's good. We don't want to use any of those things in converting people. We would also see why India would pass that because we have a very long history of 
American and even Australian evangelists. But, well, actually, I've only heard it from American evangelists traveling to India and in a country that is poverty-stricken where there are literally, you know, thousands of people who are living hand-to-mouth. There are so many beggars on the street. You are constantly being asked for, you know, money and donations and so forth to help out the poor. And they want to have a big baptism, and so they simply go out and pay everybody a dollar to come and get baptized. Of course, everybody's going to turn up for that because that's free money, and they have a massive baptism. Then they go back to America and say, we baptized, you know, 30,000 people, whatever it might be, um, while we were in India, and so you need to support the work that we're doing because it's an amazing work. Um, and, you know, I've talked to pastors that have had have first-hand accounts of this and have been a part of those baptisms and have seen the result of it. Mm. Um, I've spoken to them in India about it. This is not something that is a great secret. And so you can see the government getting pretty upset by that kind of thing and like, mm. no, you can't do that kind of thing. And so they bring out this legislation against it. The problem is if you preach the cross, mm. here's where the problem comes in. The, the preaching of the cross to a Hindu is allurement. So that's illegal. Not only is it allurement uh, for a Hindu person, that's fraud because they don't believe it happened. So that's illegal. If you preach the cross, that is undue influence and also to a Hindu person that is seen as misrepresentation. Mm. And so you sort of see the intent of the law to stop you know, the country kind of being... Uh, raped by you know American evangelists trying to make lots of money, but the action of the law is where we see you know the massive rise in uh, violence in against Christians in India. One final story, very quickly. This one's a positive story, positively different news this morning. A mm. lady by the name of Sa Myung, uh, that's not actually her name, from North Korea, just sent tithe to open doors in the United States. So um, in North Korea, you, you're suffering from hunger, illness, cold, and you're risking 10% of your income. That's 10% of your life that you're putting on the line. But not only that, you're sending money to the West uh-huh. and you're sending it to Christianity. That's kind of risking 100% of your uh, life, life right there yes. just to worship God by returning tithe. Wow. That is an example of incredible faithfulness. May God bless this woman in a special way and keep her safe. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. About to have our interview of the day, and before we jump into it, we have the 300-point question for our quiz. Go for it, Lawson. Okay, for 300 points, what, according to Revelation, is the number of the beast? 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. For 300 points, you can win yourself a pocket sermon, or you can get those points on the board. Keep working your way through the quiz. But again, what, according to Revelation, is the number of the beast? That number is 491 Ah, <laughs> uh, Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I can't talk because I don't want to give it away, but... <laughs> We've been, we've been it's, just, it's like the most famous number in the Bible. Everybody knows the answer. Yeah, so send in your answers. Come on, guys. Just uh, just do it already. Mm-hmm. But uh, joining us on the phone right now uh, with our monthly history update is Eliza Southwell. Eliza Southwell, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Eliza, who are we talking about in history? We're talking about uh, this year, the uh, history of the church in the wilderness. Uh, who are we talking about this month? Uh, today we'll be talking about the church in Ireland and especially the work of Patrick, or St. Patrick, as he's often known. Um, and the church in Ireland was one of those churches in the wilderness that saw incredible success. 
um, success in, in bringing people to the gospel, success in staying under the radar for an awful long time, but eventually it was uh, stamped out in the 12th century. So the church in Ireland is, is what we're looking at today. Fantastic. So I, us- I understand the, uh, the history of the church in Ireland. I mean, that's, um, that's somewhat related to your family history. Is that right, Eli? <laughs> well, um, I'm about, well... It's funny how Australians say, oh, well, I'm half Irish or I'm from here or I'm from there. But, you know, none of my family saw Ireland for 150 years. So we've been in Australia a long time. But, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of half Irish. <laughs> Dude, same. Yeah, me too. Well, like my mum's last name is Fitzpatrick. So I'm like, and then my dad's name is Walters. So, so I'm like... Yeah, kind of half English, half Irish, half like convict, half immigrant, you know. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Carrying the banner. Standard yeah. standard Aussie right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so let's talk Sorry. about let's talk about the uh the history of the church. Of course, you've got the uh the the, the Roman Catholic St. Patrick that heads over there, is that correct? Um, oh, no, that's not correct. Actually. Sorry, the, the the Irishman uh St. <laughs> St. Pa- Patrick the Irish Roman Catholic. Patrick was actually born in Roman Britain. Yeah, I was going to say, is there anything in my statement that I just said that was correct? I don't know. No, he went to Ireland. That was correct. Okay. So, so Patrick was born in Roman Britain. He was he was um, born in Roman Britain around 360 AD. So his father was a senator, a tax collector, a you know upstanding member of the community, and so. Patrick was a Roman citizen, um, similar to, to um, Paul in that sense. Uh, Patrick's grandfather was, was um, similar to a bishop. Um, he had, you know, he was an upstanding member of the church community in Roman Britain. Um, but by the beginning of this, the medieval period, um, just shortly at this time, in fact, much of the authority of the Roman Empire was was in the process of just starting to be transferred onto Roman Christianity. It ha- hadn't happened yet. And the 300s is a really pivotal moment um, in, in this transition. So in 313, 10 years after Diocletian had outlawed Christianity, the Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity. Shortly afterwards, Constantine declared himself to be a Christian, and the religion's popularity soared. Constantine organized a meeting of Christian leaders called the Council of Nicaea to define true Orthodox Christianity, and Christian groups who diverted from these beliefs were considered heretical. Um, That included Patrick and Christianity in Ireland. And in 380, Christianity became the official Roman religion and heresy was outlawed. So... Heresy according to whom, you might ask? Well, heresy according to um, the one bishop in Rome. There were bishops all over the Roman Empire and outside the Roman Empire. Um, the, the gospel had gone all over the world. But the bishop at Rome had the ear of the Roman emperor. And so Christianity in Britain, in Africa, in Central Asia, other regions outside the Roman Empire remained unregulated in that sense. And Patrick... Um, never one of the strongest evidences that Patrick was no Roman Catholic is that for centuries the Catholic Church made every effort to destroy Patrick's work in Ireland. Um, Catholic historians have 
have invented a trip to Rome before going to Ireland, um, before Patrick went to Ireland, a trip on which Patrick was supposed to have stolen relics and received orders to go to Ireland as a missionary, but there is not a shred of evidence for that story. Um, Patrick never, um, never looked to... We have, we have two um, works that Patrick actually wrote himself, two books that he wrote, and he never once appeals to the authority of Rome or the traditions or councils of the Roman church. Um, there's, Rome has, has desperately tried to claim him, and most people think of him as a Roman Catholic, but in fact he had, um, there's no evidence for his connection to that church whatsoever. Yes, I mean, the evidence very um, conclusively points to the fact that he's a part of the Celtic Church, and the Celtic yeah. Church has a very, very long history that sort of begins around this time period and extends mm. for many, many centuries as being a church very distinct from the Roman Catholic Church. Mm, yeah. Well, Christianity first came to Ireland and to um, Britain more generally through the Galatians. Now, Paul wrote a letter to the Galatians. The Galatians, we think of them as Greeks, but actually they were from Gaul, and the key is in the name, Galatians. They spoke and Gaelic. So they spoke Gaelic. They spoke if, Gaelic. If, you to, if you go to uh, you know, uh, Wales or Scotland today, you still find some people that speak Gaelic. That's right. And in, in the time of the Roman Empire, we tend to think of people as not travelling very much. That's um, not the case at all. And it was the most natural thing in the world for the Galatians who had family connections back home in France and Britain and Ireland. It was the most natural thing in the world when they came to know Christ to share the gospel with their families. Um, and so the gospel went to Britain and went to Ireland at a very early period. Um, there were also, the gospel also went to Ireland in less savory ways. Um, Patrick himself was taken as a slave by Irish pirates at the age of 16. Um, he, at that time, he learnt to speak Irish. He was, he was over there for six years. And many, he named himself as one of thousands of slaves that was taken from Britain to Ireland. So many Christian slaves must have converted their Irish masters because no one else was brave enough to evangelize them in the 300s. Um, and when Patrick returned to Ireland, he found considerable Christianity there already. And so we see um, evidence of Christianity coming through the Galatians. We see evidence of Christianity coming through captured Christian slaves to Ireland. So Patrick wasn't the first, but he, was, he definitely stands out in his field. Yes, indeed. Now, with, uh, with Patrick's work in Ireland... What was it that made it so successful? I understand that he started uh, educational institutions there. Mm -hmm. Yes. So what Patrick says of himself in this period is that he, um, let's, let's start with why he went in the first place. So he escaped slavery and he got on a ship back to England and surely he would never want to go back to the place where he was so unhappy. Um, but what Patrick says of himself is that he had visions uh, from God and felt God's call to help the people of Ireland know God. He left against the wishes of his family and friends, and he left behind a position of power and privilege, and he faced death in Ireland for the sake of the gospel. But as a missionary, Patrick used his 
old connections and his old understanding of how Irish society worked and his understanding of the language to um, convert his former master's household. This is a remarkable then, story because, you know, this is a, a time period in which um, you could face the death penalty for being an escaped slave and mm. the last place that you would want to go back to is your old slave master because you are basically placing your life in their hands. They have the legal right to mm. take your life. Yes, yes. Well, I'm I'm not particular, particularly familiar with Irish jurisprudence at this time, but yes. Slavery throughout well, that was a, that history was a has general, been a general thing in slavery throughout. History, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so Patrick came back to his master's household, converted his master's household to Christianity, and then you know, moved up through that system of of networking to the King of Ireland's court or the the overlord of Ireland and his court and. Um, and the gospel found success there as well. So these rough sketches are known and sure, and these are the things that Patrick says of himself. Um, he's quite modest of himself, but and, and so others, I suppose, to compensate, have built this fantastical and unlikely structure of legends around what he did and where he went. And, and um, so it's difficult to know too much more of of the details, what we do know is that he preached the Bible. He didn't preach any creed. He never once refers to Rome um, for authority. He planted churches throughout Ireland, and he, when he planted a church, he would establish a Bible school uh, to support that church. Yes. Um, those Bible schools often turned into colleges and very prestigious universities. Um, that people throughout medieval Europe wanted to go to. Um, Ireland was the first place to use spaces between words, actually. So um, in in Latin literature, there are no spaces between the words, and you just need to be able to recognize the words um, for distinct words. But the the Irish were the first ones to put spaces in between words, which mm. obviously made it a lot easier to read. And so Ireland became Irish for that. (laughs) Yeah, Ireland became a a centre of learning, really, because of Patrick's work of um, establishing Bible schools. Um, Patrick ordained bishops over groups of churches. Um, In fact, Columba was one of Patrick's Bible students. He graduated from Patrick's school and went to Scotland and brought the gospel into Scotland and. Maybe we'll get a chance to talk about him at some point. Um, but the work that Patrick established in Ireland was not just limited to himself and what he could do as one man. He he wasn't so proud of himself as to do that. He was in the business of equipping others to share the gospel. And I think this is really significant because you, when you see the uh, the establishment of Bible colleges that, that Patrick does there, you find this at the heart of pretty much every major uh, missionary endeavor that has taken place. You know, you, you see it in Ireland, you see it in Scotland. 
Uh, but you also see the fact that the Great Reformation of the 16th century breaks out at a university. Um, and you can mm-hmm. trace it on down through there to, you know, each one of your great reformations that our world has seen, and particularly uh, returning to the Bible, you know, where there's many times when individuals do that and they stand up and they have a powerful influence. But when it is backed by education, it is mm-hmm. so incredibly powerful for good, which, you know, it really mm-hmm. encourages me when I see things like, say, for instance, Arise, which is a simple Bible college that we have mm-hmm. here in yeah. uh, in in our, in our New South Wales region, where people can go and learn the Bible. It sounds like a very simple kind of thing. Um, you know, why can't I just learn my Bible at home? But to have the opportunity to learn from experts and learn from people who've made it their life's work to understand and to dive deeply into Scripture, um, people with insights and understanding and, and that God has gifted them with, um, that's, that's, you know, if you have an opportunity to do that, as we do in Australia, that's an incredible privilege. And we, sh- we should never underestimate what a thorough, um, rigorous understanding of Scripture can do in, in someone's life um, and for the people around them. Mm. So, looking, looking at the history of, uh, of, of Patrick, he's very, very clearly not Roman Catholic. Why is he <laughs> being Roman Catholic today? And how did that change come about? That is a good question. Um, well, the, the Celtic Church didn't... Most people have never heard of the Celtic Church. Most people have only ever heard of the Roman Catholic Church in medieval history. And they assumed that Rome was was always dominant because it was dominant at the end of the medieval period during the Reformation, so why wouldn't it have been beforehand? Um, and that's mainly just our, our own... I mean... We're all born ignorant. Um, well, dominant powers get to write the history too. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, the Celtic Church um, wanes into obscurity around the ninth century. So in the ninth century, the Danes started pillaging Ireland and England, uh, or the Vikings, as, as we tend to know them. Um, the... Uh, the the king of the Franks, Charlemagne, was um, was fighting the Danes on land, and so the Vikings, who had never been violent marauders before, turned to um, slavery and pillage. Um, and Dublin was actually a Viking slave market during the during the later medieval period. So that obviously was a huge disruption to the organized work of the Celtic Church. And then the next thing we, we kind of hear of, of them is that the Pope is commanding Henry II of England to wage a crusade on, quote-unquote, the untaught and rude nations of Ireland. And so we... A crusade, in other words. Yeah, a crusade. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so and Henry II went off got plenty of land for his son, King John, and and that's the last we we really hear the Celtic Church. They seem to have been pretty much, the, the institutions of the Celtic Church seem to be pretty much decimated by that. And then, of course, you have um, Henry VIII, who also goes on crusade in Ireland. Um, you have um, Oliver Cromwell later on, um, the Lord Protector of England, who goes on essentially crusade in Ireland and so the Irish get a really rough go of it um, 
How they convert to Catholicism was obviously by force. Why Ireland remains the most solidly Catholic country in the world, um, I cannot say. Um, the Catholic Church has certainly done them no favours, but our memories are short. And I think that's probably as best an answer as we're going to find for an, an inexplicable um, eventuality in history. Eliza Southall, thank you so much for joining us to share with us the story about Patrick, who was neither Irish nor Roman Catholic, but certainly was a great missionary of the gospel. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.